Welcome everybody to Historical Shape. <laughs> My name is Laura and over on the other side of the universe is... Hello, it's Julie. Yeah, um, this is the podcast where Julie and I uh, tell each other fun stories of history. Uh, usually it's about shady people or people who are shady to each other, but sometimes it's just, ooh, this is a fun story. I just want to tell Julie this tomorrow. Um, so it, we like to say that we are not historians. So if we get something wrong, let us know. Uh, be nice about it. We do know that history is written by the victor and by the winner, and we love to know um, ulterior points, uh, alternate, not all, not anyway. Alternate <laughs> points of view. Uh, a few POVs, if you will. Um, it has been a week. Anyway, it's Julie's turn this week, and I'm super, super, super excited because I know nothing about it. Like, nothing. <laughs> All right. Um, so, this is about the Zhivago. Oh. And <gasps> I'm really kind of excited about this one. The way that I came to this story is I read a novel a few months ago called The Secrets We Kept by Lara Prescott or Lara mm -hmm. Prescott. And first of all, I highly recommend this novel. It was, it was fantastic. Um, but it, there were elements of it that were related to this, elements that were not. But essentially this Zhivago affair was a, a central theme and, and story in this novel. And I did not know that this had really happened. And so it, it led me to do some research. Um, mm -hmm. There is a fantastic uh, nonfiction book called The Zhivago Affair, The Kremlin, The CIA, and the Battle Over a Forbidden Book by Peter Fenn and Petra Kuve. Also recommend that. Um, can, I start, can I start this by saying that, like, I know there is a book called Dr. Zhivago, but I hate romance books. Like, and I just don't like romance, like movies either. Um, I don't, I, I just, my therapist and I can talk about it later, but I have overtly avoided it for a very long time. So I know nothing because it's always been like the one that like, people are like, oh my gosh, Dr. Zhivago and the capes and the snow. I, that's all I know about it. I never, yeah. And no. And I, I love that, that you have just shared that because your your impression is that it's like a novel of a love affair. Yeah. So it's it's also a little bit like what what's the deal? Yeah. So although Dr. Zhivago takes many of its cues from like the tradition of these like sweeping epic Russian novels mm. and like love and all that, um, the themes of this book, the main character is a doctor and a poet, Yuri Zhivago. He treats soldiers on both sides of the war during the Russian Revolution. And then he eventually returns home to find Moscow of his childhood changed beyond recognition. Communists are controlling the city. Chaos is reigning. And this world of art and intellect is gone forever, or so it seems to Zhivago. So those are all sort of like really... That's your 30s. I mean, that's like just like overtly anti-Soviet. So there's yeah. this like famous love affair, but there's also this huge thread of free thought that is mm -hmm. questioning these like deeply held Soviet beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, so he, he writes this novel and he had submitted it for publication in the Soviet Union in 1955. Okay. It was rejected for <gasps> anti-Soviet messages. Uh, 
the country's foreign minister wrote that it was a malicious libel of the USSR. Um, Russian critics denounced him as a traitor and the Soviet publishing industry would not touch it. Uh, and, and this was someone that was like a very popular writer in Russia already. This wasn't yeah. his, his first bit of writing. He's very well known as a poet, but mm-hmm. he wrote this book and was just immediately just blackballed. Um, and, and just was, share your, your rejections. <laughs> yeah. And, and this was a time where it, it was dangerous to be a, was, uh, it was even more dangerous to be a, a free thinker, uh, during this time. Uh, at one point, his neighbor who was also a poet, um, was, um, arrested and, and was murdered. Um, they at one point sent his, Pastor Nick's lava, oh. not his wife, his lava, oh. uh, to the gulag for like three years. Um, Just for being his lover? Because she was his lover and they were like not happy with it. Just, they they could make anything an excuse, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Russia's like, we're not, we're not printing this. And he's like, well, this isn't going to happen. Oh, well. Uh, so eventually what happens is an Italian literary scout was able to take a copy of the manuscript out of the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. So it was published in Italy in 1957. Mm -hmm. And shortly after that, the CIA becomes involved. Um, and I just want to pause here to express that a lot of the information that I got was from 99 declassified documents that uh, described the CIA's role publishing this novel for the first time. Oh, uh, shit. So the Zhivago Project was one of many CIA-supported su- covert publishing programs <gasps> that involved distributing banned books, periodicals, pamphlets, and other materials to intellectuals in the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe. Uh, so... And this, this was fairly recently that they declassified all these documents. So it's, it's really cool. Like you can read all these documents. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So going back, um, in, in one of the, the writings in these documents, it says Pasternak's humanistic message that every person is entitled to a private life and deserves respect as a human being irrespective of the extent of his political loyalty or contribution to the state poses a fundamental challenge to the Soviet ethic of sacrifice of the individual individual communists to the communist system. John Maury, the Soviet Russia division chief wrote in one of the declassified memos. Uh, There's no call to revolt against the regime in the novel, but the heresy, which Dr. Zhivago preaches political passivity is fundamental. Pasternak suggests that the small, unimportant people who remain passive to the regime's demands for active participation and emotional involvement in official campaigns are superior to the political activists favored by the system. Furthermore, he hints that society might function better without these fanatics. Wow. I'm just, I'm, I'm floored i'm just floored it's like wow i was reading that and it's just like 
life imitating art imitating life imitating art like yeah i you know we keep saying like hindsight's 2020 and history repeats itself and i think one of the kind of scarier things about this podcast is how often his, we are finding that history is repeating itself and we are seeing mm-hmm. patterns of human behavior and responses, mm-hmm. but they're not swinging in like a positive light. Yeah. It's like all the bad one things keep coming back. Yeah. yeah. But just, yeah. Wow. Wow. Continue. So anyway, uh, the agency de- decided that Dr. Zhivago should be published and distributed throughout the free world for maximum effect. They wanted the novel to reach as many Soviet citizens as possible. Um, And I believe this is um, a quote from the book, um, The Zhivago Affair. If bombs couldn't shake the ice out of the Cold War, planting doubts in the minds of the USSR's citizens had the potential to rupture the superpower from within. Oof. So, yeah. I just want to slow clap all of these. Right? Oh, yeah. So, essentially, what they did is they they smuggled it out of um, Italy. Yeah. Uh, through the British intelligence. So, it's like, like hand, everything, everybody's handing this off. So, it's almost yeah. like we're not tracing this, almost. Um, yeah. but, the, but it's it's two rolls of film. So, they took pictures of each page of the novel. And it's a pretty thick novel. Yeah. And she big. She She big. She big. She's not a little. She's not a baby novel. She ain't a sorcerer's stone. No. She's, (laughs) no. She's like when we get into Goblet of Fire territory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Another CIA (laughs) memo. Uh, This book has a great propaganda value. A CIA memo memo to all branch chiefs of the agents, Soviet Russia division stated, not only for its intrinsic message and thought-provoking nature, but also for the circumstances of its publication. We have the opportunity to make Soviet citizens wonder what is wrong with their government when a fine literary work by the man acknowledged to be the greatest living Russian writer is not even available in his own country, in his own language, for his own people to read. Oh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> there's something wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, so here's a little section that I called names, names, names. Uh-huh. Uh, the operation to publish the book was run by the CBA, CBS, <laughs> <laughs> CIA's Soviet Russia division, monitored by CIA director Alan Dulles and sanctioned by President Dwight D. Eisenhower's Operations Coordinating Board, which reported to the National Security Council at the White House. Dwight D. Yeah. The OCB, which oversaw covert activities, gave the CIA exclusive control over the novel's exploitation. Um, So I think the important thing is that, like, even the president, like, to some extent, is aware of this. Yeah. It goes all the way to the top. All the way to the top. I've always I, wanted to say that. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's, it's so phenomenally, and I will not say it as beautiful as any of these quotes, but just somewhat like, they're like, okay, and then this is what we could do to attack that. Like there are these war generals, like 
thinking and strategizing in this. And then there's someone going, this book can change everything. Yeah. And just the, who the, the, and how many times in history it's been like, this book can change, you know, whether it's the Bible or, you know, like very specific books throughout the world. And then someone is like this thing, let's go. Um, I'm trying to think of like other ones, but yeah. Cause there, there were some in, in like Napoleon. Oh, uh, we were, what's her face to stale and, and Napoleon, yeah. like this yeah. book can change everything. Like we've covered some of those where it's like, ah, that's, that's and phenomenal. And just like, there could be thousands and thousands of military soldiers, but this book can change everything. And like from, from a book standpoint, so the Zhivago affair about this was published in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm going to just look up real quick when the CIA declassified mm -hmm. because. Um, Did you see that Trump pushed back the declassification of the John F. Kennedy assassination documents? Cause they were supposed to come out and he was like, no. And he pushed it back. Oh, wow. So people are irate continue um i just i can't figure out the date of when the cia hi penny declassified these mm -hmm. uh, i don't know you also don't need to have like all of this um it's it's so crazy though like look like it I, i'm sure it's like 2012 and then people are like and hey, we're gonna write a book about it like it couldn't have been that huge of a turnaround right um and i think it is 60 years or like i feel like that's the time frame or like 55 or something like that so that makes sense yeah so I, I guess my whole point of that is like it, it says in the records the hand of the united states government was not to be shown in any manner so uh -huh. we know about this now because these documents were declassified and because the book was written about it yeah now, like not to tinfoil hat this moment but like what else do we not know about? Yeah. I wonder how, now I want to look up something. When the Dr. Zhivago um, movie was made, because I bet that. I think I have it in here. 1965 was the first film adaptation. So that film adaptation is less than 10 years from when it's written, right? Mm -hmm. That's. I feel like the CIA was also involved in green lighting that movie. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it's like, oh, people don't want to read this book. We're going to make a fucking movie. <laughs> that might be a little tinfoil. Well, we'll no, see. I don't think so. So <laughs> film is very powerful too. <laughs> so the books were distributed across Europe. The primary target is the 1958 Brussels Universal and International Exposition. Uh, because Moscow had issued visas for 16,000 Soviets to attend. Uh, the CIA does not want the U.S. pavilion at the exposition to distribute the book, though. So it was discreetly handed to Soviet citizens visiting the Vatican pavilion. <gasps> oh, it goes all the way to the top! <laughs> the it goes to the top! Um, the Pope is in on it. 
Uh, over the course of the Cold War, as many as 10 million copies of the book uh, were secretly distributed by the agency behind the Iron Curtain as part of a political warfare campaign. Uh, the agency arranged the printing of a hardcover edition in 1958 in the Netherlands and then printed a miniature edition um, on onion skin uh, in 1959. So the book's publication, and then on top of that, oh, I talk about the onion skin in just a moment, um, the awarding of the Nobel Prize to Pasternak triggered one of the greatest cultural storms of the Cold War. So two things about this Nobel Prize, because one of the things that they like seriously call out when they did release the, this paperwork is they, they call out the fact that there's nothing in any of these documents. It's over 99 declassified documents. There is nothing that um, indicates any sort of plans by the U.S. or any push by the U.S. to get him to win the Nobel Prize. Like that wasn't yeah. part of their plan. Uh-huh. Um, but they definitely took advantage of that. They increased their output and that was when they created the small language edition, Russian language edition on the onion skin paper. So these were like super easy to plant them. Uh-huh. And so CIA operatives planted uh, hundreds, if not thousands, in Soviet bloc company, countries. They gave them out to Russian tourists visiting the West. So like students and intellectuals were like clambering for them. Yeah. And if like eventually like the Soviet customs official were so aware of it, they were like specifically ordered to look for them mm-hmm. and remove them from uh, luggage. KGB operatives were watching traveling students in particular um, about it. And, and so when they, you know, when these students were, were getting these books, they were being told like, take it, read it, do not bring it home. Wow. Oof, yes. I'm getting shivers and chills. So as we know, he's awarded the Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. So he initially responds. He says, thankful, glad, proud, confused. He sends them a telegram. Um, and some of this information comes from his son's memoirs. Um, Question, is he living in Russia this whole time or has he been kicked out? He ne- no, he never left Russia. And all he, this is happening and he's just, but he's like, I would, no one, I wasn't allowed to publish it. I don't understand why everyone knows my book. So that, yeah, so it's, it is interesting, like, they never, like, like, he didn't get sent to the gulag for it, but it's also yeah. a little bit, like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't, other than, like, because it's Russia, like, they could have just been, like, you're going to the gulag. Yeah. To, you know? Yeah. But he's, he's living in his, his little daja, I think they call it, like, they're, mm-hmm. they're like, the summer home type thing. Yeah. Uh, so he, he sends that to the Nobel Prize Committee. Mm-hmm. Of course, backlash about this is swift. The Soviet government, like, forces his fellow writers to denounce him. Mm-hmm. Newspapers are, are printing these, like, scathing stories calling him a literary weed. Ooh! Yeah. And, a daffodil's a weed. And a dandelion. And, no, a dandelion's a weed. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I don't think a daffodil. I was... 
I support you either way. Um, but he, he is eventually told if he goes to Oslo to accept the prize, he would never be allowed back in the Soviet Union. So like, his family is. yeah, it's his home. He doesn't yeah. want to leave this country. Yeah. Um, so he writes a telegram declining the prize. And in his memoirs, the author's son's memoirs, not mm-hmm. his, um, Yevgeny Pasternak writes, I couldn't recognize my father when I saw him that evening. He wrote about the author after that second telegram. Pale, lifeless face, tired, painful eyes, and only speaking about the same thing. Now it all doesn't matter. He, I declined the prize. <laughs> so he dies less than two years later. He's never able to receive his Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until 1988 that Zhivago is finally published in the Soviet Union. And the following year, Yevgeny is allowed to go to Oslo and retrieve his father's denied prize. And in his speech that day, he says, this is a worthy ending of a tragedy and I am very happy. Wow. So interestingly, even Nikita Khrushchev thought so. So he was, uh, after he was ousted as the leader of the USSR, he read the novel uh-huh. uh, and he lamented not just that he'd had a hand in banning the book, but that it had been banned at all. And let me just rephrase, like, let me, after he was ousted, he wow. read the novel. So okay. he banned a book that he never actually read. Um, and he writes in his memoirs, <laughs> Some might say it's too late for me to express regret that the book wasn't published. Mm -hmm. Yes, maybe it's too late, but better late than never. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I guess. Um, Wow. So that, that is the story of how soft power can influence events and drive foreign policy. Damn. Damn. First off, Julie, amazing. That was, <laughs> that was an amazing story. Second, um, what did his telegram say about why he got it? He was excited, did it, uh, confused? Uh, he said, thankful, glad, proud, confused. Okay. So any of our listeners that go to see show theater, if you look at everyone's bio, everyone's like, so-and-so is excited. So-and-so is thrilled. So-and-so. And so my friends and I were talking the other day about how we really wish if we were going to be honest, we would write in our bio like, so-and-so is confused to be a part of, or so-and-so is terrified to be a part of, or so and oh just God. be real honest about it. And that's what that reminded me of. It's like, I love that. But, but also like to an extent, like he, he's in Russia. He yeah. has no idea what's happening outside yeah. of Russia for all intents and purposes. He doesn't even know people are like reading it. Reading it. Yeah. So there was probably, he probably didn't know there was a movie made. He ain't getting no money. I will say the fact that he didn't get any money during all this is a little frustrating as an artist, but he was changing the world. So it's fine. Um, I do also want to point out the secrets we kept was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick. Uh-huh. Um, I just like I just want to call that out because I feel like Reese Witherspoon, Spoon's book club of all the celebrity book clubs, like she's on it. Mm-hmm. Like no offense, Oprah, but like I'm Team Reese with the book club picks. Ooh, we lost half of our listeners. 
<laughs> Mom, come back. <laughs> that was the half. Um, great. Future light time, Julie. Yeah. Um, my future light is very soon. Mike and I will be going to Nashville for the first time. I may have already future lighted this. I don't know. Um, but because I think I future lighted it when I bought the tickets. Mm -hmm. Anyway, long story short, why am I making this so complicated? Uh, we are going to Nashville to see Letter Kenny live. Awesome. And my friends, if you have not watched the show Letter Kenny, please do yourself a favor. It is just the most delightful show. And they are all so clever and funny. And I love the wordplay. Um, I'm all about Canada right now because of that. That's my future life. Canada. What's yours? Um, my future life is I have a... Uh, I'm going to the Southeastern Theater Conference for work. And... Um, it's it's nice to uh, I'll be in Louisville, and I've already I've future lighted this as well. But I started looking up like weird things to do in Louisville using Atlas Obscura's destination page. So starting to like go and and figure that out. Um, yeah. So that's my future light. Simple, simple. We're just gearing up to those fun things. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed this. I did. So if you didn't, <laughs> I did. Um, <laughs> give us a review. Give us a, a, I don't, a, some love, some good vibes, whatever. A voicemail, an email, like our Instagram, um, personals and historical shades. Uh, if you want, <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. It's been a week. Um, I like these moments because sometimes I, like, I literally watch, like, you go, like, you drive the train off the rails. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm a good, I'm a good bad conductor. Um, <laughs> I wanted to make an electricity joke, but I don't know. I was like, like, copper? Um, but that's okay. <laughs> so, we'll talk to you later, folks. Bye! Bye, friends! <laughs> historicalshade at gmail.com and you can follow us on Instagram at historical underscore shade or Facebook at historical shade we don't have a Twitter thanks Julie <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>